Welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of A Court of Three Strands. Well, one of the strands is the church, and that's what this season is all about. Yes, it is. Man, here we are, Mr. Young. So, like, it's November of 2022 when we're recording this. We've been recording for about a year now. Yeah, it's, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it's not going to be November when they hear this. That's true. So... But yeah, season four. Yes. Great. Season four. So, you know, this episode will kind of serve as an introduction to the church. Yes. Perhaps a good place to start is, is what is the church? What is, what ought it be? That, that is a good question, but here I'm going to give a delayed answer. Yeah. Okay. So see, so this in our introduction, I want to talk about more like what's going on. That's a good yeah. Yeah, and then and then we'll talk more about definitions of things in in episode two. Okay, when we talk about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah. So, what the church ought to be? Maybe this is answering your question too, and it and it comes from Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, so in his uh, letters from a Birmingham jail, uh, one of the things he wrote was was this. He says there was a time. When the church was very powerful. It was during that period when the early church rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, it was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. So, Martin Luther King Jr., Letters from Birmingham Jail. This is one of the whole reasons we started the Palatine Institute is because the church of Jesus Christ today has become a thermometer rather than a thermostat, right? So a thermometer, like Martin Luther King Jr. mentions here, is that it um, it records the ideas and princ- principles of popular opinion, right? That's, you know, the church is reflecting culture. Whereas in the past, the church was the driver of culture, the driver of, of culture, the dri- driver of um, transforma- transforming entire nations and cultures uh, from their, their ways of paganism or secularism or what, what have you into a thriving, flourishing Christian uh, culture. And what we see in our day and age is we see our culture coming apart at the seams 
right? It was, we first, I will say, the Church of Jesus Christ relinquished its role as thermostat in our culture, allowing a secular progressive worldview be the dominating force in our world. We sat by and watched it happen. We continue to do that as we pursue our own personal peace and influence. And that's Schaefer's uh, way of wording it. And we'll talk about that uh, a little later on. And, uh, and now we're scratching our head wondering where everything went wrong. Mm. Well, it went wrong when we abandoned our um, view of what the church ought to be and do. Um, we understand that Jesus said all authority in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to him uh, in heaven and on earth. And because of that, he says, therefore, that's what the there is for, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of whole, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, right? And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So, so Jesus claims, and we'll talk a lot about this next week, Jesus claims that all authority has been given to him. All of, all earthly authority is his, and his command to his people is to that we go disciple nations and teach them to observe what he's commanded. And what we see is is that the progress of the gospel has been just that, that people group after people group, nation after nation, uh, end up repenting and coming to him. And that people within those cultures who have been transformed by the gospel uh, write their laws and their uh, uh, of their state, of their nation, reflecting the word of God. And in uh, all the places that that was happening in the West, we call it the West, uh, things flourished and grew and uh, became very powerful and including in the United States of America. And at some point in our history, uh, we decided that we wanted to see ourselves less of a force of culture mm. and more as a dispenser of religious goods and services. In other words, rather than be oriented upon the words of Jesus and his authority, we decided to be a commercial entity and right. And uh, where the customer is always right. Uh, we turned our back on a couple thousand years of church history, doctrine, hymnody, songs, etc., and decided we're going to try to appease the masses and uh, connect with culture as it is. Thus, um, we have become a thermometer instead of a thermostat. And and that's a problem. Yeah. Because we need to learn how to become a, a thermostat again. Right. Yeah. Wow. That Yeah, that's a lot, Mr. Young. That's good. I appreciate you kind of uh, giving us a, uh, you know, uh, taking the temperature on where we are, you know, with the current church. So, you know, Obviously, that's why the Palatine Institute uh, was formed. That's kind of our our vision for the Palatine Institute. 
and, and this goes back to what we discussed extensively in season one, which was just introducing this idea of a flourishing Christian culture. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'd love to dive in a little bit more in terms of, you know, do you, so I guess a good way of, of asking this would be, there are, you know, hundreds of, there are thousands of churches in America today, but we as a collective church seem to not be flourishing at the moment. <laughs> right. Right. That's an understatement. So like, what are some of the things that you've seen? Because you, I mean, you're an elder at your own church. You yes. were formerly a pastor. Yep. Like, you know, you can give us kind of a boots on the ground uh, view as to what's going on. And what's going churches. on and what happened. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll start with um, j- just laying it out. I, once again, I mentioned this in a previous episode of in my lifetime, right? In my lifetime, uh, public schools had Christmas concerts and Easter vacation. In my lifetime, there was prayer in schools. Some, yeah, in not in all schools, but in my lifetime, there has been. Um, and in my lifetime, uh, everyone had Christmas vacation. Um, they would not you get in trouble if you took the Lord's name in vain. Um, in my lifetime, there were blue laws, which people the uh, businesses were closed on Sunday because it was the Lord's day, and you should rest. In my lifetime, I'm 55, and so in my lifetime, I've we've gone from that to uh, transvestites reading books to children in the library, um, to where a child can go to school, um, and you know they're not going to yell at you if you curse in the hall. Right. Um, they will get mad at you if you don't recycle. Uh, you can go to at, like at but if, a local high school yeah. here, the the transgendered bathroom is the place where the, all the couples have sex during lunchtime. Is that right? Right, right. That's the culture we've now lived. What happened? Well, it yeah. it wasn't it 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 wasn't because somehow the enemy is somehow stronger than our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not somehow. Right. Right. It's a failure of the nerve of Christians of right. saying what is right, right and wrong. Because if we talk about that, we're getting political. Yeah. We How can't dare get us. political. Right. Like, oh, Jesus never was political. Wait till we get to episode two. And <laughs> as we go on and we just talk about everything that you read in the Gospels and in the epistles, uh, Jesus uses political language. Even the term gospel is a political word. And yet we don't we don't want to think about it that way. What we have done, and Francis Schaeffer is my inspiration here. If you've ever read his book, uh, How Then Shall We Live? Mm-hmm. Um, or or maybe watched his videos with yeah. him and his knickers, it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he he talks about how culture has uh, devolved from uh, holding to a Christian worldview of things, especially of truth, uh, to a to an existential view of things, then finally to a postmodern. He doesn't get very far into postmodernism, but the idea that truth not only can't you not understand or know truth, there is no truth. Um, so so truth. Truth really in our world is um, is something that can be determined by the those in power, and um, 
and it's used either to oppress or to liberate. And so the idea of the progressive left, of course, is to gain political power for the sake of justice. And you, when you ask who's justice, they just tell you to shut up and, you know, take it. Right. Right. <laughs> and and, uh, and so, you know, you don't want to question justice. You just say, yeah, I want to be on justice's side, whatever that might be. Um, the the response is then for those who have been in the church or have a theistic worldview for whatever reason, since the 1960s, has been to let not engage in the world anymore, but to to uh, kind of turn inward and to see religion or Christianity even as a private matter. That it's not about truth; it's about my truth. Right? You have your truth. I have my truth, and we'll say, um, we'll say out loud, no, 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 no. Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the you know, and the life. Yeah. No one comes to the Father except through him. We'll say that out loud, but we practice it just like the secularists do, who say, You have your little spot over there on Sunday, right? You have your private religion. And as long as it's private, you're free to practice it. As long as you don't bring your religion into the public sphere, right? Yeah. The public sphere. Fear, the, the the table, right? There's so some Christians just clamor. We want a place at our table at the table, right? You know, yeah. we'll become a political block, you know, for the Republicans or something, right. which is that's all dumb. Jesus is Lord of the table. Yeah. And and we have forgotten that, right? But it's Schaefer who says that what happened to the church then is, is that we saw it as a private thing. We accepted that. And that the that private thing is is that we're going to pursue personal peace and affluence. And okay, and this is going to sound. We're going to talk about this at the very end of season, our season, and that has to do with eschatology. That when things started going south in America, yeah, and since we were already in this personal private sphere. We convinced ourselves that this is how it's supposed to be, and thus we're in the end times. And Jesus is going to come and rapture his church soon, and all hell's going to break loose. Loose. And the more we detached ourselves from culture, the more it looked like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So rather than understanding ourselves as being disobedient to our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we are, we are disobedient to him. Yeah. Um. We think that we're doing good in our holy huddle, our personal private religion, letting everyone go to hell. Right. Right. So newsflash, we don't know when Jesus is returning. We, we don't know. Right. Right. It, it, if, if we look at, uh, I, I want to say, going back to the thermostat question, um. In Daniel chapter 2, um, God gives this prophecy to Daniel, who, um, where Neb you know, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and you might remember the gold-headed uh, statue with silver uh, chest and you know, bronze belly and then iron legs and then the feet mixed of iron and clay. And we understood that from the interpretation. The gold head was the kingdom of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was the, the king there. 
and that a kingdom would come after that, which we understood as Persia, who had the was the the um, uh, that chest of silver, and then after that was Greece yeah. that was coming, which was the the belly, and then the legs of iron was Rome, and that the that there was going to be this time where the iron and clay, this red clay, is mixed, and we understand that's the Edomite kingdom, you know, the descendants of Esau, uh, King Herod, right? So King Herod um, is uh, was installed as the king of the Jews by um, Caesar Augustus, and um, he was an Edomite who had converted to Judaism, um, and he then did not mix the Roman culture and Jewish culture. So he founded cities that were Roman. Mm. He put in amphitheaters and hippodromes and practiced uh, Roman culture in some areas, but then in other areas, it was strictly Jewish. He did everything he could to rebuild, you know, to make the the temple, uh, Solomon's temple that had been rebuilt right after it was destroyed, um, making it glorious, becoming one of the you know, wonders of the world, uh, invested lots of time and money. And, and, and so you have this kingdom that's iron and clay mixed. And just like Daniel said, that's when the Messiah came and toppled it all, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is born under the reign of, of uh, King Herod, this Edomite Roman king. Um, and that mount, that rock uh, grows up to be this big mountain, the biggest mountain in the world. Right. Okay. So this, so this, this kingdom is going to, or this, uh, this rock becomes the mountain and it, and it, it, it takes over everything. And so Jesus was born and ever since then it's been taking over everything. And the church in America has basically been in retreat for the last 50 years. Um, meanwhile, in China, Africa, Latin America, it's continuing to grow. Um, I'm what's one of the things I'm excited to see in the next 20, 30 years. Um, Lord willing, I live, you know, beyond that even, uh, to see what China becomes, right? The the pace of the growth of Christianity there is, is amazing. Yeah. I say that because the church has been in disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ for many years, and um things aren't going well in or hasn't been going that well in America. And so we somehow think that that means the end of the world is going to happen when God's just getting started in China. He's just getting started in different places. It's it's so that view, that pessimistic worldview that Christ is going to come um, before we suffer any kind of persecution is so American centric. It's not even funny. It's it's disgusting, really. The reality is, is that we're we're in disobedience to God. We have been perfectly fine with pursuing our own personal peace and affluence, and um, and you know, the hell with everyone else. That's evil. And and when things and when evil happens, and we kind of go, oh look, maybe that's a fulfillment of prophecy, and we're going to be out of here anytime soon. Uh, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. What we need to do is repent as the church of Jesus Christ and be obedient. We should be doing evangelism. We should be praying for the world. We should be 
We should be offering ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. We should be courageous. And when when evil and wickedness is being practiced in our community, we need to speak out of it, not just to each other in church on Sunday mornings, but actually to the powers that be. Right? We, right. That's, that's the... So when the gospel came, and again, I'm getting into season two already, when the gospel came to places, it changed the culture and it caused problems. And that's why people were persecuted. The church was persecuted because they were influencing culture that much. Right. Right. John, why was John the Baptist beheaded? John the Baptist was beheaded because he was calling out the sin of the king. And the king, rather than repenting, put him in jail. And then later on in a drunken, you know, symposium um his he he said something stupid told his stepdaughter he can have whatever she wanted up to have his kingdom and his wife said ask for john the baptist head on a platter right yeah why because what he said was offensive to them oh that doesn't seem very loving we should right we should yeah. be we should be more loving so that no one will be offended oh my goodness yeah of course, what we say is going to be offensive. It's going to be offensive and people are going to be mad and people are going to do stuff. Right. And, and we're too afraid of it. And we'd rather have personal peace and affluence than be obedient to Jesus. And that's a problem. That's a problem. But now, listen, I'm not saying that we need to be jerks. I'm not saying that we're holding signs like that. What's that church? They, you know. You know, at God hates gays or whatever. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, by the way, that church that that's the public face of evangelical Christianity for whatever reason, the most they ever had was eighty three members in their church. Eighty three. They've never been over a hundred people, and it's almost all family members, and they do stupid things, and yet that's become the public face of Christianity, right? And so we're so afraid. We're so afraid that someone's going to say something bad to us about us. We don't do anything. No. Meanwhile, the souls of many people are dying. And we don't care. Mm -hmm. Because as long as we have our personal peace and influence. When are, when are people in the church going to be mad? Well, when we elect rulers or other people and then the economy goes south, now we're mad. <laughs> because it's affecting our personal peace and influence. Yeah. Right? No one cares if the transvestite is reading books to children in the library. We kind of say we're mad. We might say something on a video. We might say something at church, but no one does anything about it, mm. right? Because right. it, it's not not to be bothered, right? So anyway, the the church has not been a thermostat for a very long time. So how do you, yeah, if I may just jump in, like, how do you think that happened, Mr. Young? How did we go from this, 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 a vessel of cultural influence to just, you know, complacency and the pulpit. It's the pulpit, right? Mm -hmm. um, where do we learn? What are we supposed to, how do we know what to do? What should we do? What's right and wrong? How does God want his church to do? It comes from the pulpit and the, and the pulpit is where it needs to be done. And most pastors i think get timid yeah right they get they get timid what if they preached what they really thought god was saying and people didn't like it i might people might leave my church uh and then i don't get paid or to, right it's right. it's 
it it's a struggle. It's a you know there, right. there's there's also the liberalization of the so so some denominations have strayed from God's word. They don't think it's God's word anymore. They just think it's good suggestions or something. Yeah, and they reinterpret it so that it doesn't even mean what it says it says. <laughs> and and that's again because they didn't want they wanted to be accepted. Right. right. Or they, or I, I know in our, our area, there's a lot of churches that have like rainbow flags. Uh, why is that? Well, they, when they went away from the inerrancy of God's word, um, God's word had no power anymore. And since God's word didn't have any power, no one really cared about the church. And then they left. And when they found out a lot of their sons or daughters were living gay lifestyles, they thought, well, we want them to come back or to love us. And, yeah. and so they just adopted the things of the world in order to try to gain favor with it. And guess what? It doesn't work. No. No one, what is the church offering? Nothing. Nothing. They're not Nothing. offering anything. It just becomes an option. Right. If you want, you know, if that's what you want to do. You, right. So there's big, beautiful churches with, you know, 80 old people in it. Right. What? Right. Right. And that's it. That's it. It seems to me, Mr. Young, that uh, that we as a church, we're not active anymore. We're we're not taking the initiative and starting initiatives and doing things and changing and being vocal. We're very like 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 you said, I mean, it's like the Martin Luther King Jr. example. We're kind of reactive. We're, you know, a thermometer, really. Yes. Now, now hear, hear me here, too. Okay. The plan that God has given is going to sound really weird. It's that we, as ordinary people, is we're to take on ordinary vocations, doing ordinary things, taking the ordinary means of grace, and in faith, as we do that, God will produce extraordinary results. So, the the reality to this, Noah, and this is the good this is part of the good news. If if the church wants to be a thermostat again, all it has to do is preach God's word, actually what God's word is saying, and seek to be obedient. That's all. And you and I and our households can make changes to make sure our lives are being aligned with what God's word says and then live it. Yeah. And that's all it takes. It doesn't need to be a big movement in in a sense, like what waiting around for some leader, right? This happens all the time, right? So in our, I have a good friend, um, uh, pastor in, in, uh, um, lacrosse assistant pastor. He has a, a blog or a, a podcast called uh, Reformed and Restless. And he's tracing, remember back in the 90s, there's the Reformed and Restless or the 2000s, you know, with like people like um, um, guy from Mars Hill, um, Mark uh, Driscoll, Mark Driscoll. And there's all these people involved in this movement that happened. And it's like, oh, you know, here's a leader and people followed him in mass. And then every one of those people in that movement, except for like one or two, have fallen. Right. Yeah, right, right. So so this isn't this isn't the plan. And I think part of it is, is that we've looked at and we've gone, 
Well, think of the Protestant Reformation. You think of Martin Luther, you think of John Calvin and, you know, John Knox, and there's this leader of the, well, that's a misunderstanding really of what happened. There were, God did use individuals to do things, but there was so much happened preparation wise, right? So you have hundreds of years of, of uh, these uh, Latin schools that the yeah. that were were that were training people to be prepared for such a spark right? right that's and basically through this you have people trying to live right and they're they're ready they're ready for this reformation yeah and and what we need in our society is not revival or what we need in our society is reformation and the difference between that is because most people are i hear and and pastors i know in our area and if I got pastors in Green Bay listening to this. Um, you know who you are. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think we're in good terms, so it's fine. But they, they, I've, I've heard them for years talk about praying for revival, revival, revival. Well, what is revival? And I've, and I've asked that question to many people. And, and most things I can get from that is, is that they want some movement of God in which after this revival happens, they have more people sitting there sitting <laughs> yeah, that's not what's needed, you, you know, and, and people in want of more people from their pews, they uh, pastors and churches come up with all sorts of gimmicks or methods or I don't know, whatever, to yeah. get more people sit in their pews. That's not what we need. We need people who are called by Christ, those who are actual Christians to live out uh, faithful obedience to what God is commanding them to do that comes from God's word. What really needs to happen in our pulpits is we got to stop talking um, good advice with a couple scriptures that that kind of back it up. What what we need is is, is pastors going through God's own word, yeah, verse by verse, and teaching what it is that God is saying. What we, as I said in the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, in the smaller catechism, we need to know what we are to believe concerning God and the duties that God requires of us. Right. That's what we need to know. I don't need to know my pastor's opinion on things. I need to know what God says. Right. In the same way, when we go to, when we go and talk in front of Kings, because that's what, um, that's what was prophesied about the church. And, you know, when, when Jesus is sending off his, uh, before he leaves, he says, you'll speak before kings, right? The political powers, right? Yes. That what what we don't need is someone to say, um, well, I I think that this is a bad idea or, or, you know, studies show that, you know, living this lifestyle is not good. Right. Or we can't do this because it's uncomfortable for whatever it is. What we need is to be able to say, the God of the universe has revealed to us in Holy Scripture that this is wrong and we will not do it. Or does that make sense? Right. Yes. Yes. That that's that's what we need. That's what we need. Um, we don't need opinion. We need what God says. Thus saith the Lord. And um, and it and it's gonna take time. Yeah. And it's like we're starting Palatine Institute, it's the year of our Lord 2022. In my mind, in my mind, the things that we're starting to do, what we're tr hoping to do um, to encourage families and churches and schools and to help 
plant schools and churches and you know those kinds of ministries that hopefully we're planting seeds that at some point will be ready to flourish and change. And it might be a hundred years from now. Right. right. I might not see it in my day. I, oh, it would be so nice to see it in my day. I don't, ha- I don't really believe that's the case. I, I think that what we're starting with the classical Christian movement, the homeschool movement, uh, other types of things are the seeds of a coming reformation that might not happen in my lifetime. And, and here's the problem with our, with America, Americans like to see instant <laughs> results. We do. We want instant gratification. Well, the, the question is, <clears throat> is, is that, is that really worth it? Is it, is it worth investing your life into something that's good? Yeah. Even if you don't see the results in your lifetime. Yes. And the answer is, and always has been yes. So I, I'm a, you know, you, you, did you take middle, middle ages at, uh, yes. at Providence? Okay. So think of the cathedrals. Yeah. So you, you come into a, a town and you have that someone has the idea, let's build a cathedral and it's going to take more than a hundred years <laughs> Isn't that to crazy? put that up. Yeah. And people are like, yeah. And they invested their money and their time to start something that hopefully their great grandchildren will be able to enjoy. Yeah. But what if the church started acting that way? Yes. Right? If right. we started acting that way, if we go, we know that the, 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 the images of, of God's kingdom in scripture are like the mount, the, the rock that grow into the giant mountain. It's like the must, the mustard seed, the small seed, and it grows to fill everything else up. If we understand that's what's happening in our world today, mm-hmm. the, the gospel is changing lives it's, and cultures, and, it, and it's growing, it just, it takes a lot of time. So when we get to the last episode, I'll make the statement and I'll try to defend it. Uh, I, I still think we're kind of in the early ages of the church. It's only been, listen to this. Yeah. Okay. It's only been 2000 years. (laughs) Yeah. It's only been 2000 years. Right. You look at, I I heard a a pastor recently, Doug Wilson. I I bring him up every once in a while. He's, I recommend you guys listening to him, but he talked about the, uh, this Supreme court decision uh, sometime in the late 1800s that that basically stated that we were a Christian nation. Um, the distance between that and Roe v. Wade versus the overturning of Roe v. Wade, right? We're we are um, we're not that far away from when the Supreme Court said we we're a Christian nation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, do, do you know what I mean? And and in the in the light of if you look at the uh, the kings of Judah in in Scripture. I mean, there's hundreds of years where we're po- the the people are apostate, and then all of a sudden there's this great reform and revival. You know, it, it's yeah. And we're and we look at it like, oh, in my lifetime, I said in my lifetime. Well, that's short, one life, right? Fifty fifty five years. That's that's in the scope of time. That's not a long time. 
right? So we we have to we have to be willing as the Church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be a thermostat, is to be willing to do things that are hard, that are necessary, that we won't see the fruit of it perhaps in our lifetime. And be willing to do it because it is the right thing to do. It's obedience to Jesus Christ, our King. And we'll talk about this throughout this season. 